often wear many hats in life. Mother, daughter, wife, ex-wife, caregiver, mom tasking, chief cook and bottle washer. In most cases, we're doing all this while holding down a full-time job or even running our own company. It's often high pressure and most always involves stress. Welcome to Sprinting to Success, a podcast dedicated to women in high-stress professions where we'll discuss how to manage the stress at work and at home so you can feel happier, healthier, and more successful. And now, here's your host, Esme Lawrence. My name is Esme Lawrence, and welcome to Sprinting to Success podcast. Today on the show, we have Vicki Gold. Vicki Gold is a book coach, content market strategist, speaker, and 10 times best-selling author. She has helped nearly 100 others become best-selling authors, sharing their stories impactfully, turning readers into clients, and making the worldwide impact that they desire. She has been seen in Entrepreneur, TEDx, U of M, HuffPost, ABC, NBC, CBC, and Fox. Welcome to Sprint Into Success Podcast, Vicki. Oh, hey, Esme. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, you're uh, welcome. I'm so, so I must tell, um, ladies and gentlemen, Vicki is my book coach. And, yay! Um, yay, I'm writing, I'm writing my book that's going to be released on April 7th, my mom's birthday. So I'm yes. excited that Vicki is going to help me with that. Yeah, it's going to be epic. Oh, epic. it's going to be good. Yes. <laughs> so yes. Vicki, where did you go to university and what did you study? Oh, boy. I went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, and I got a degree in actuarial mathematics. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. So what did you do with that, (laughs) mathematics? Yeah, well, you know, actuaries are kind of like CPAs. They have to take a lot of tests, and I decided I didn't want to do that. So I ended up going into IT, and I programmed computers for a little while, and went on to, you know, do database management for a mortgage company. I worked at Anderson Consulting, and then I became a statistician at Comerica Bank. So yeah, I was in finance, did a lot of numbers. Oh, nice. Well, that's good that you like numbers. I, um, I don't really like numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I love numbers. Yeah, you know, you have to, you have to um, work with uh, where, you know, you're, have, you're good in your, you know, your strength, right? Yeah, yeah. So, you help entrepreneurs um, and upcoming authors become bestsellers. Yes. So how does writing a book help entrepreneurs do less and make more? Yeah, I love this question, Esme. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Because so often people think that writing a book as an entrepreneur or as part of their business is like either a side project or like they have to press pause on their business in order to write a book. And that could not be further from the truth. You write your book right, you can use it for double duty. And that's how you use the book and do less to do more. I don't think people realize how like once they have their book written or even while they're having their book written while they're writing it, right? That they can use that content. They can rephrase that content. They can repurpose that content into a video, into a social media post, into a quote, into all sorts of things that they normally are doing for their business so that it doesn't really deter and take away from a lot of time that they normally would be spending there. It's just smart, you know? 
Right. And you know, of course, a lot of people would know how to, they wouldn't know how to do that. So they have somebody like you that uh, can um, show them how. <laughs> yep. 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 We share a lot of stories in our books. You know, it's, it's just so important, just like you, what you're doing with this podcast is so great because you're sharing different stories with the world. I think so often we feel like we're misfits, we're not understood, we're the odd person out, we're the black sheep. And when we get to sharing stories and sharing about our struggles and who we really are, I think people realize so much that you and I are not that different, right. that, that there are so many of the human experience, right, that is so much the same, that while we look a certain way on the outside, we have all of the same feelings and hopes and dreams and disappointments yeah. and fears and all those things. Mm -hmm. And that's why for me, the book and sharing stories from the book all over the place is so important because our voices were meant to be heard. I just wrote this thing. I actually just posted my blog about how so many of us growing up were shushed. Yeah. For whatever reason, you know, your parents shushed you because you were interrupting. Don't interrupt the adults, you know, in school, don't talk out of turn. Right. Or if you were too talkative, then your friends were like, oh my gosh, you're taking over the conversation. And so you learn to shush and be quiet and squelch who you really are and what your opinions are and not speak up. And so you're like, okay, let me blend in. Let me fade into the wallpaper. Yeah. Right? right. But I don't think any of us were really meant for that. We all have opinions. Like, I have an opinion about everything. <laughs> right, we all do. <laughs> and if you ask me, I might tell you. <laughs> right. You know, I'm not always the most tactful person sometimes with my opinions. And I think sometimes that too, you know, sometimes when you don't say thing in the, something in the right way or you hurt somebody's feelings or whatever, you're just like, you know what? I'm just not going to say anything. I'm not yeah. going to cause a fight. I'm not going to cause a wave or anything like that. But each of us has our little ripple wave to make in the world. Right. Well, a lot of people don't say things because they don't have the confidence. Yeah. You know, they don't, they don't think what they have to say is of value. Right. Um, you know, their opinion mean, means nothing. And that's far from the truth. And if they'll only speak up and realize that, as you said, you know, we're going through the same struggles, mm -hmm. you know, in life. And if you can share your story um, with others, you'll be surprised how many people can uh, relate. Yeah. Yeah. Because really, you know, there's nothing very new in the world. We all, right. <laughs> we all have similar problems, That's right. maybe in slightly different ways, but very similar. Right. So Vicki, mm -hmm. what is the law of attraction practitioner? What is that? Yeah. So the law of attraction is about like energies attracting like energies. So I studied to be a law of attraction practitioner right after I got my certificate for being a master herbalist. So I actually was in wellness before I turned over to this business side and doing marketing and book coaching. And the law of attraction you know, not just about energy, like energies attracting like energies, but also your thoughts becoming things. You know, what you're putting out into the universe is going to come back at you. Right. So using that was really helpful for me when I was sick. So I have chronic Lyme disease. I was diagnosed in 2009. A big part of my journey for personal development and being, becoming a coach was my illness and trying to get out of that illness and how, 
you know, the doctors basically were like, you're going to be like this forever. And if you don't know much about Lyme disease, it, it's kind of easier to explain it as a conglomerate of other diseases that it's misdiagnosed as. Yeah. So it's like MS and lupus, dementia, wow. um, arthritis, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, early perimenopause, um, like all of those things all rolled into one. And then add on top of it anxiety, depression, depersonalization, wow. um, just everything. During that time, it was just it was just so hard for me to just get out of bed. And the doctors were like, "You're going to be like this for you know until you're 80, until you die. So just suck it up and deal." Yeah. And I remember I remember thinking, "Gosh, is this really true? Is this like how life is destined to be?" Like. You know, because I was not even forty yet, so I'm yeah, thinking that was very young. Yeah, and I'm I, so I'm thinking this is going to be a long, drawn out death. You know, because that's what it felt like. Every day was a struggle. I would start yeah. to cook dinner, and halfway through it, I would just have to put everything down. Look at my husband. I'm like, I can't finish, and I have to go lay down. Wow. You know, just taking the kids to school and being in the carpool drop off lane. I mean, it was. 15 minutes maybe to school. And then, you know, obviously you wait in line and you wait in line to get out. So mm -hmm. let's say it's half an hour or 40 minutes round trip. I would have to go back to bed, you know, for, I don't know, another three, four hours. I was sleeping 16 to 18 hours a day. Wow. And yeah, so that went on for like, <laughs> for like 1,726 days or so, yeah. uh, you know, because it was three and a half years and it was so difficult for me to participate in life. And I kept thinking, do my kids really even know me? Like, are they going to feel like they didn't have a mother growing up? Mm -hmm. Are they going to feel like I abandoned them? And I, you know, of course, and it's like, what kind of therapy are they going to need later? Yeah. Um, you know, my youngest was in elementary school and I couldn't go to any of his field trips. So my oldest is seven years older than my youngest. Then I got a middle guy. So the oldest one, like I went to everything of hers. I always showed up. I was the volunteer mom, you know, like mm. I did everything. I was a super mom. I was the martyr. I was the, you know, sacrificial, do everything for everybody. You know, I was the friend that everybody said, ask Vicky, she knows how and she'll do it too. <laughs> um, and I just, I couldn't do that anymore. Yeah. And, you know, then it was like, I stopped getting invited to go out, you know, and, you know, friends would drop off because they didn't understand. Some of them didn't believe, you know, that there was really something wrong. Yeah. And my youngest, you know, I, I didn't hardly go to any of his field trips. And I remember the one day it was Christmas, you know, he had asked before, and many times when he had asked, I was like, baby, I can't go. I can't do it. I'm really sorry. Yeah. And it would just hurt my heart so much to look at his little face and his chubby little cheeks, you know, and I was like, oh, he's so kissable and say no to him for something like that. Yeah. And I would, you know, berate myself in my head, Vicky, muster up the energy, get it together, you know, and I just, I couldn't. And I remember for Christmas this one year, he's like, please, mom, please, please. And so I went. And it was, it was so difficult for me to concentrate. I was like, I suffered from vertigo as well. So like sometimes the rooms would spin and things like that. And they had assigned me to the Santa Claus make a beard cotton ball project. <laughs> <laughs> 
And boy, oh boy, you would have thought that project was like constructing a building. (laughs) It was so exhausting for me and trying to talk to the kids and explaining how to do it and things like that because they were little, right? And noises are really hard for me as well. They really, and I know it's probably called something, but the noises really bothered me and it was like things were clicking and chattering inside my head and they were so loud and it would make me want to like run away screaming to bash my head in the wall obviously I didn't do that but that's what it felt like I'm like okay keep it together keep it together and after that one day and you know his his party was just a few hours you know and then they end their day I was in bed for the next week to recover from that short little jaunt And, you know, like going to the grocery store, same things. I, you know, we have those super grocery stores, right? Where they have everything. They got toys and they got clothing and they got, (laughs) you know, they got your produce and everything all in one store. And sometimes, you know, the health and beauty items were totally on the opposite corner from where I was. And I would forget something because I'm like, okay, we got to make this efficient. I can only make it one time through. And, you know, I'd get to the front of the store and be like, oh crap, I forgot something. And I sit, I know. And I would sit there and think, is it worth it? Can I get back there? And do I have the energy to make it to the other corner and come back? I mean, that's how exhausted I was. And I'm like, okay, I can't come back again. Cause it was always that, well, it's going to be a lot of energy to come back. It's a lot of energy to get there, you know, and then I'd go outside and I'd forget where I parked. There were plenty of times I was going to call my husband, the car has been stolen. <laughs> I could not remember. Yeah. I just, you know, I I couldn't remember anything. Wow. So yeah, that, that was a rough time. So how Um, did you, so now how did you overcome those challenges? Yeah, that was when I became a master herbalist because the pharma protocol was really like slowly killing me itself. Mm. Um, and it was making me feel worse and worse and worse. And I said to the doctor, I'm like, I can't keep doing this. This, I, I just can't keep doing this. So I, I did a combination of a bunch of herbs. I did some alternative modalities like Rife Machine. Um, I did sauna. I did um, food-grade hydrogen peroxide. I used MMS. Like I did all sorts of crazy things because I was determined by then that this was not going to be fa- the fate of my life. And I thought, I can either allow a doctor to determine my mindset and the acceptance of, or I can decide that he doesn't get to say, and I can change my destiny, mm-hmm. and I can do things differently. And that's where, you know, the herbalism came in. And then, like I said, <laughs> this started out with their question about the law of attraction. And so that's where that happened as well, that I started thinking about, well, what are the thoughts? You know, because your thoughts they can make your body sick. Yeah. And, you know, just like, I guess the easiest example is just to talk about depression, right? That is a mental thing, but it causes physical symptoms. And I do believe that many of the chronic illnesses, because doctors just treat certain, let's say, symptoms, and they don't actually take everything as a whole and they don't consider you as a person as a whole and maybe they just don't know that they don't address the mental side of being chronically ill yeah yeah so that that really helped me and then you know getting my coaching certificate really helped me with that as well 
because then I was able to reframe things in my mind and not be as depressed as I was because there were many days that I thought, you know what, this is the end. And I was like, it's going to be in the bathtub or it's going to be with a handgun or, you know, you were, you were planning um, how to kill yourself. Oh yeah. It was, it was pretty bad. You know, like the relationship with my husband wasn't going real well. I didn't, I was a very reluctant patient because I was superwoman. Yeah. And I didn't want to accept that I had to depend on other people and I had to ask for help. Yeah. I was always the person that everybody could count on. I was the person that always helped everybody else. I ran a tight ship in my house, you know. Right. Um, and, you know, for my husband, he lost the woman that he married. I was not the same person. He would tell you that it was like I was a shell. You know, then he as well didn't know how to take care of me. He didn't know how to best love me. And I I would try to push him away. And then, you know, it was just whole dynamics of being chronically ill for that long, you know. And so then I'm thinking it's costing $20,000 a year to just keep me alive. And this is no existence. What is this? Hmm. You know, laying in bed 16 to 18 hours a day. What kind of life is that? And if this is how it's going to be, then I might as well be done. So so where was the turning point? When did you say, I'm not killing myself. I want to live. When was the turning point? Yeah, you know, I, I think it was a matter of a few things. One is we didn't have a handgun in the house and I wouldn't let my husband have a handgun in the house because I knew better. I was too terrified about which child might find me and how traumatizing that would be for them. Yeah. And it's kind of funny in a way because I used to tell my friends that if they ever found me, um, you know, drowned in a car, cause you know how that happens sometimes. I said, um, I would never do it that way cause I don't like water. So go find my killer. <laughs> <laughs> so telltale sign is if it has anything to do with water, I didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, I, I, I got to thinking about all those things and knowing how hard it is on the other side, you know, of suicide, the people who are left, yeah. that I, it was just like, I can't do that to them. I, I just can't do that to them. And I started thinking about, well, you know, I do want to see my grandchildren one day. I do want to yeah. meet them. Although I felt like at the time there would be no way that I could possibly get down on the floor and play with them. Well, at least I could, you know, be there with them and meet them, even if I can't play with them, you know? And so I start thinking about those things in the future that I wanted to look forward to. Good. And that's when I was like, you know what? Why does he get to say that I'm going to be like this for like, how does he know that's true? How does he know that I'm never going to get better? Right? Like, how does the doctor know? Plus, I was in a bunch of um, forums. And, you know, while some people did get worse, there were some people that were having some some successes with different treatments. And those were the ones that I'd go out like a crazy woman and try. And, you know, now people say to me, well, what is it that you did that got you past Lyme? And I'm like, I have no idea. And I don't know if I would have skipped one of those crazy things that I tried if the whole thing wouldn't have worked. Yeah. Wow. It's well, really glad, hard to say. Well, I'm glad you're, you're here. I'm glad that you didn't um, commit suicide and thank yeah. God that, um, that he you know, kept you alive and you're here. So Vicki, how do you decrease yeah. stress in your personal life? How do I decrease stress in my personal life? Well, yeah. 
One of the things that I do is I take a bath almost every single day. Nice. Um, and it started out really with the Lyme, you know, that my muscles hurt so much and my joints ached from everything that I would soak in Epsom salt, um, baking soda, and food grade hydrogen peroxide. Because what that does is it soaks into your pores and oxygenates your blood and pathogens don't like that. So I would do that every day. And it just became a habit that I did. Almost every day, you will find me in the bathtub. And it might be 10 o'clock, it might be four o'clock. Usually it's not like seven or eight because like I'm winding down for the day. And I, I feel like in some ways that the bath doesn't help with that. So almost every day. And you know, I have a pretty regular exercise regimen. Part of that as well is because you know the joint damage that I have from the Lyme affects some of like my one leg is a little worse than the other and the hip and whatever. So I have to make sure that I'm doing my stretches yeah. and yoga and stuff like that so that I can keep moving around and, and that I'm able to drive because there was a point that like I couldn't even drive more than 10 minutes from the house Wow! because of the pain in just sitting there pressing the pedal. So I think some of those things came out of a necessity that now have become a habit that is just part of how I decompress. Yeah. Also, you're an entrepreneur, and so that can be lonely. So how do you decrease stress in your, in your business? Wow, I have some awesome business besties. Some <laughs> of us, like, we just randomly call each other. Like, so there's one particular friend of mine who we just randomly will call each other throughout the day, and if the other one's available, she picks it up. But if not, no biggie. You know, we just texts and say, oh, I can't talk right now. I'm on a call. Um, I'll call you in half an hour or whatever. So that, that friend of mine, we talk almost every day. Then I have another friend who's in Italy and we tend to text and send voice messages. So I get to hear her voice a lot and we tell each other everything. And here's the thing is that my business besties also know about my personal life. Nice. Um, you know, they know about my kids, they know about my struggles, they know about all those things. And even like today we were talking and talking about, you know, things that bring us joy in our business or things that excite us in our business and where, you know, sometimes when you do something new, it, it's exciting. Or when you're creating a new course or program, it's exciting. But when you've had the same program for a couple of years, and it's kind of humming along and everything. Sometimes you feel like you need to stick something in there to create some excitement again. Right. And it was interesting. We were just talking about that today where, you know, it's not necessarily that you need it for your business, but you just need it for, you know, I don't even know what to call it other than, change, you know, they, change they, up. <laughs> yeah, some sort of, some sort of fun thing to do yeah. that, maybe you don't have as much pressure on yourself to do that thing because the business is, is humming along pretty well. Um, but yeah, sometimes, and there are some times where you, where you try to create excitement and it's a little bit to your detriment too. <laughs> <laughs> so true. So Vicki, in one of your videos, you said yeah. you, you are not a typical Asian woman. What do you mean by that? No, I am so not. You know, when I ask people, they say that their perception of Asian women is quiet, subservient, um, you know, intelligent, but like for the most part, they don't say very much. 
all through my life, I have been that child that just like has not shut up, you know, and, and that's also why I, I so relate to that. Have you ever been shushed in your life? Because I got that a lot. <laughs> I was the kid who talked out a turn in class. I was the one who was, you know, passing notes and trying to whisper to my friends and stuff like that. For the most part, I think the perception of Asians is not me. I love to be on stage. Not that Asians don't, you know, there's probably some Asians that like to be on stage and theater people and whatever, but I love to do things like that. Asians are also very competitive <laughs> and I have learned to, you know, let bits and pieces of that go. Um, yeah. But for the most part, I think the biggest thing for me is that I share stuff that probably wouldn't necessarily make everybody in my family happy. They don't listen to everything that I do. They don't read all of my books, but Asians are very much, you know, what happens at home stays at home. You yeah. save face, you don't embarrass your parents, you don't tell people stuff. And by the pure nature of what I do with books and sharing stories with people and encouraging people to be vulnerable, I have to be vulnerable too. Yeah. That makes sense. So Vicky, um, so go back in time to the younger Vicky who felt uh -huh. afraid. What words of wisdom would you give her so she can believe in herself? Wow. That's an interesting one <laughs> because the younger Vicky still had to live with her mother. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't until after I, I got away from that situation and then you know had to do some personal development because it wasn't just getting away from the situation that was able to then start speaking my voice and to this day you know I'm still working on it and I will still work on it until I die because there's always going to be a little bit of that knee-jerk reaction of shh be quiet yeah. don't do that you shouldn't whatever so I think that I would say to the younger Vicky don't worry your time is coming and you may not be able to do everything and say everything you want to right now, but you'll have an opportunity one day. Awesome. Uh, that's, that's good advice to give yourself. So this is the last question, Vicki. Yeah. You're a very successful woman, but what are you still struggling with now? Oh boy. I would have to say, gosh, you know, and I, I was, <laughs> it's funny cause I was just writing about some of these things earlier today. Um, I would say that one of the things that I struggle with right now is that I wished that I had done personal development when I was younger. Now, I know everybody's journey, you know, was supposed to be that way. And it's not necessarily a regret. It's more like a, gosh, I wish I would have because if I had, I would have parented my children differently. Yeah. Um, you know, my older daughter, she has had some personal development and, you know, we have a really great relationship. And I think part of what I struggle with now is that when my youngest was young, I wasn't really available because I was sick. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I started my business and things like that. And we do spend Fridays with each other. I pick them up from school and we usually do something together, but I feel like sometimes I've missed too much time with him. Yeah. 
So I struggle with that. You know, you get that mom guilt and then you think, oh right. gosh, you know, maybe I should be doing that instead of this. And, you know, all the should, 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 should kind of things come up. And yeah, I guess that, you know, it's just human nature with moms. We never know if what we're doing is going to turn out okay or if we're going to scar them forever. Exactly. We never know. <laughs> and they sure aren't going to tell us what's going through their heads, especially as boys. <laughs> That's right. Not until it's over. <laughs> so Vicki, I am going to talk to my audience for one second, okay? Yeah. So friends, I wanted you to meet Vicki, this incredible woman. She's had challenges in her life with Lyme disease and being suicidal, but it didn't keep Vicki down. So ladies and gentlemen, I encourage you to step into your greatness and embrace challenges so you can live your best life. So Vicki, thank you for joining us today in Sprinting to Success podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a joy to be on. Oh, you're welcome. So um, you can learn all about Vicki on esmelawrence.com. Thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success podcast. Please go to Esme Lawrence and take my survey, How Stressed Are You? And when you're done, Sign up for my Sprinting to Success Elite Coaching Program. This will help you step into your power. Thank you and have an amazing day. Thank you for listening to Sprinting to Success with your host, Esme Lawrence. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes. For more information about Esme and to hear other episodes of the show, go to EsmeLawrence.com. That's E-S-M-I-E-L-A-W-R-E-N-C-E.com. The information in this podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional or medical treatment or advice. Always seek advice from your healthcare provider.